Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Pastor Larry Davis. Um, so, uh, many of you guys may not know this, but uh, before our 5 o'clock Saturday night service, and then before our first service here on the weekends, on Sundays, um, the uh, tech team and the worship team and some of the pastors and some other people come in here, we gather, we kind of talk about the service again, we pray over the room and the space and with, with each other and, and kind of what we're preparing to walk into. And uh, last night, I don't remember exactly how it came up, but we kind of got in a, a silly conversation. I was telling the, uh, our friends back there that I was going to really try to throw them off. I'm just going to talk at a key. And, uh, and so I, as, uh, t- tonight I, I realized, or last night I realized, you know, like, that just is one of those things that makes everyone awkward if you're up here and you're like, hi, I'm singing a song. And everyone right now, I watch some people right now just feel bad that I just did that out loud. Like, you felt awkward for me. You felt like a little embarrassed, a little screamed, like, so, just stop doing that first. And, um, I realized that when uh, the churches of faith community gather together and uh, we talk about giving or generosity, um, most people hear me and think he's talking out of key. It's just like a little out of uncomfortable. It's just a little off. It's making me a little squeamish in my seat. I feel just not right, like change the subject just a little bit, and uh, let's get it a little bit more comfortable. But we are talking about that, and this series is called Be Rich. And some of you guys may have come here even for the first time, and you know, you're going, oh, great, I came to this big church, and sure, they're talking about money. I'm going to go home, tell my neighbors, see, that's all they do. I go to the church, but I want to say, why would we call something Be Rich? And before you leave, I want to tell you just a little bit about that. And that's because we really believe that everybody matters to God, even if God doesn't matter to them. We really believe that everyone matters to God, even if they um, don't think that God matters to them. And it comes directly out of the, uh, the New Testament, um, this, this idea of being rich. And uh, um, there was a guy named Paul. He was an apostle Paul, and he was writing to a younger guy, um, one of his protégés. His name was Timothy, and he wrote a letter to them um, specifically. And uh, it comes out of um, 1 Timothy. It says, hey, Timothy, I want you to say this to the people as it relates to them um, and as it relates to rich people. Command those who are rich in this present world. Now, those of you who are Bible readers in here and you've read the Bible, you get to that part, you read. Um, those of you who are rich in this present world, you think, well, well that's not me. Um, he's obviously not talking about me, and I'm not rich in, in this world, and I don't know if there is another world, but uh, not the next one. And so let's move on to something more practical because um, I'm not rich. He continues on and says, um, command those to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and be generous and willing to share. Now, last week, Pastor Ken shared with us and gave us a lot of perspective of um, the, the of understanding that we are rich. Um, and he gave a lot of examples and gave us clear understanding that those of us who are sitting in here, most, pretty much everyone, is rich. You know, I, I know um, some rich people who have stood in their closet. You could probably finish the sentence, and they've stood in a closet full of clothes. And they say, man, I don't have anything to 
Where? Those are some rich people. Yeah, right? Um, uh, if you are here today and your household income, which is everyone that's in there putting it all together, is $50,000 or more, you're in the top 4% of the world. And so he went through some of those statistics. And, and some of you aren't in here today going, oh, honey, look it, we're rich. He just told us we're rich. Yes, we made it. I now know we're rich. This is great. I have a clear understanding. In fact, most of us don't think that way at all. But in fact, the richer we become, um, usually what happens is we spend everything and then it doesn't ever matter how much we make, we never feel rich. Now, the point of talking about being rich isn't to make anyone feel bad. The point is to make us feel responsible. Because we believe as Christians uh, that, we, uh, that, that everything belongs to God and that we're just managers of it. And when you're managers of someone else's money or their things, uh, you don't feel as guilty. But what you do feel is a sense of responsibility and you feel, you realize that you have a stewardship of affluence. So he says, Paul says to, to Timothy, tell him this. So this is how we do this. I want you to tell people that they, they have to be extra good to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. So as a faith community, us here, we're going to practice being rich. So if you're saying, hey, I'm not rich by, you know, international standards, you know, that's kind of different, but certainly I'm not rich by even national standards. That is, that is not me. Um, but what I'm going to say to you is that just in case one day you do realize and understand through this that you are rich, um, we're going to practice being rich. So next week, we're going to uh, talk about for the next 90 days, some of us for the first time or even we'll take a step or all of us we're going to at least practice what it's like to be rich. Because we know that the more rich that we become, um, the less we tend to give. It's a well-known um, statistic that the more we get, the more we kind of seem to suck it in and, and become more engaged in managing our own um, and enjoying our own wealth. So we want to be rich, but we want to be good at being rich. So the real thing that drives uh, this whole conversation is the answer to this question. And that question is, why? If I were to ask most of the people in this room, um, why should you be generous? Why should you be compassionate? Why should we care? Um, most answers uh, would be something like, well, you know, it's just like the humanitarian thing to do. Or, you know, like, uh, everybody knows you're supposed to share. Or, yeah, this is what we do just because, you know, it makes us feel good on the inside. That's why I like to do stuff. It just makes me feel a little bit better about myself. But what we need to know, and most of us don't stop and think about this because we're, we're busy people and we haven't really connected these dots, is that being generous and compassionate is not natural. Being generous and compassionate is not natural. Now, this is getting some of you guys a little bowed up because you're like, hey, uh, it totally is. That's like who I am. I've always felt generous. I've always felt like a compassionate person. That's who I am. And what I want to explain to you is that it is not natural. It's something that you've been taught. What's natural is a four-year-old. Any of you guys ever met a four-year-old, ever had a four-year-old friend? You have never had a conversation with a four-year-old that says, hey, four-year-old friend, 
you need to, you need to stop sharing so much. I need you to start pulling that back in a little bit. That's yours. And once you, <laughs> once you gain dominion over that as what is yours and that understanding, maybe then you can start letting some people uh, participate with that or play with that a little bit. Uh, I, I was actually hanging out with my four-year-old friends on, on Friday. Just the other day, he came into my office, and he sat in my chair, and he had a huge bag of popcorn. It was a big bag of popcorn. And I said, hey there, four-year-old friend. Can I have one piece of popcorn? Will you share with me? And he said, no. <laughs> and I said, you have a huge bag. I just want one piece. Can you share with me? Will you share with Uncle Larry? No. And I said, ha, you're totally normal. That's absolutely totally normal because you're selfish, little four-year-old, and so are you and so am I. That's who we are. That's what's natural. But what we have been done is we have been taught to be generous. We learn to be generous and compassion. That value uh, and virtue, it's not natural. It's taught, and it comes specifically from the New Testament. Whether you know it or not, uh, you have been impacted. Uh, history has been changed because Jesus, Jesus came and crushed everyone's thinking about generosity, and it changed civilization. It changed it. It's why Americans uh, are more generous today. And it's not always been that way. It hasn't been that way everywhere. And there was a time that it wasn't that way anywhere. Uh, and it really is the heartbeat of the New Testament. And that's this. That God's extravagant generosity towards us compels us to be extravagantly generous towards others. That God's extravagant generosity towards us compels us to be extravagantly generous towards others. The driving force. The driving force behind Christian behavior is what God has done for us and towards us through Christ. Essentially, we are to do unto others as Christ has done unto us. It's not about a virtue or being nice. It's about uh, being generous because Christ has been overly generous to us and what he has done for us. And Paul wrote another letter, uh, a little letter, um, like he had done to Timothy, but it's a different one that says some of these same things. And I want to um, dive into that for just a moment. Uh, in the first century, he's writing a letter to the Philippians, and it says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And we look at that and say, <laughs> right, nothing? Do nothing? Who does that? Nobody does nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. All right, so that one doesn't work for me, so like, you know, move me on to something else. He continues to say, rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Who does that? No, he does that. You know how much money I've spent on counseling, trying to tell, have someone tell me that I'm valuable uh, because of my issues and growing up? That's, that who, who sits there and says, I'm gonna value others above myself? And he's saying, I'm not saying that people are more valuable than you. What I'm saying is treat people as if they're more valuable than you. To which you would say, well, who would do that? To which I would say, well, it's been done to you. 
and you've enjoyed it. You ever been to a really nice hotel? I, uh, I took my wife, uh, it was our 10-year anniversary, I took her to a really nice hotel. I took her. It was nice. I pulled up. I don't even know how they knew it was me. I got out of the car, I mean, they opened the door and they says, welcome, Mr. and Mrs. Davis. And I was like, oh, this is nice. I got out of the car, and they said, would you, would you like something to drink? And I wasn't even thirsty, but I felt like, well, maybe, maybe I would enjoy something to, yeah, I would. Well, they said, my pleasure. <laughs> All right, then. Walked in, looked around. I felt them like I needed to, you know, check it out. I'm like, yeah, this will do. This is pretty nice. All right. And they came over and says, right this way, we want to take care of you, your highness. And I was like, well, this isn't bad, sweetie. This is what's up. Now. I wasn't looking at them and thinking, you're right. I am more valuable than you are. But what I did think was, you are treating me as if I am more valuable than I am. He's saying, Christians, treat people as if they're more valuable than you. He continues on and he says, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. Now, if you are married or in a relationship, that right there is a game changer. I want you to chew on that one this week. Not looking to your own interest, but the interest of others. When you look to the interest of others, suddenly something begins to happen and they open up. Uh, you want to, um, you want to uh, change things, you know, if you're a teenager and you want to start getting things, the things that you really want, you know, when dad walks in, say, hey, dad, how was work? And when dad wakes up, because you've been fanning him, you prop him back up in the chair. <laughs> dad, no, really, how was work? What's going on? How are things going? And he says, well, I don't really know what to say because no one in this family has ever asked me that. You know, and you show interest and the things that other people are doing to begin to open up, next thing you know, he's going to be like, hey, I want to give you your sister's room, and I'm going to give you the keys to my car. I know you're 14, but I trust you. Uh, things begin to happen. And Paul's saying, hey, guys, people open up when you show interest in them. I've had uh, many conversations with people, and they're like, how do I keep saying this stuff to you? I'm telling you everything. Uh, and, and, and other people will be like, how do, you, how do you connect with people like that? And it's like, well, I'm, you just treat others like they're more important to you. And you and genuinely take interest in what they're doing. And they will open up. And Paul's saying, hey, guys, we have the greatest message. That first, God invites us to call him Father. Not your earthly father, but a perfect Heavenly Father. So show interest in other people in order to influence them towards your Heavenly Father. Then he says this, he continues on, he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And, and so I would say, well, you're a Jesus follower, right? And you'd say, well, yeah, I mean, I'm not perfect, but, you know, I, I, I try to get it right. I'm a Jesus follower. Well, well, he's saying when it comes to other people, I want you to think about other people like Jesus thought about them. Well, how did he do that? How did he think about them? Well, what he did is he just kept putting them first. Right. That's how I want you to treat them. 
And from there, in that moment, we are catapulted from the golden rule to this new diamond platinum rule, which the golden rule is to treat others as you would like to be treated, to do unto others as Christ has done to you. He's saying, hey, I want this to be the new standard of your behavior. I want this to be the measure of your compassion. I want that to be the measure of your generosity. I want that to be the measure of your kindness. And it's not going to be a, I'm going to treat people um, as, uh, as they've treated me, or I'm going to treat people how I want them to treat me. You say, no, it's better than that. We're going to raise the standard. I'm gonna, we need to do unto others as Christ has done for us. And no religion had ever experienced anything like that. That was a head turner. Because this Jesus guy came down and showed up and made it about everything else and everyone else. And it blew everybody away. It changed civilization. He continues on. Who being in very nature God, Jesus, Jesus who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. In essence, he, he never leveraged his Jesusnessness, right? He never played the God card. He never rolled up on somebody and was like, <coughs> excuse me, um, uh, I am Jesus. Table for three in the back with a few. <laughs> Thank you. He didn't have his posse going out ahead of him, making all this stuff happen. He never used his God card and says, I'm over all of this. It's all about me. Look to me what you can do for me. Instead, he continually and constantly played that card for the sake of others. And it's what Paul is saying Christianity is all about. It changed everything. This is the heart of Christian generosity, of Christian compassion. Then jumping ahead, he says, here's what I want you to do with all of that. He says, therefore, Christians, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Not work for your salvation. If you're a follower of Jesus, you already have it. But work out your salvation. In other words, let what's true in you to be seen in you and through you. Saying, I'm a Jesus follower. Let that be seen in you. Let people look at you and say, well, wow, that's some unusual compassion. Wow, I don't, I don't understand. What did you do? That's some unusual generosity. Wow, that's some unusual patience. That's some unusual self-control. That's some unusual kindness. Let your salvation work out. And in fear and trembling, not in the sense of, oh my goodness, what's God going to do to me if I don't do this? But in the sense of, oh man, look what God has done for me. He continues, for it is God who works in you to will and act or behave in order to fulfill his good purpose. Well, what's his good purpose? That everyone would look up and see that there's a Savior that paid the price for your sin. And Paul says, hey guys, that's the only way they're going to know. It's the only way they're going to know. It's the only way they're going to know is your behavior. It's the only way they, they're going to know is your presence being there. It's the only way they're going to know is your compassion. The only way they're going to know is your generosity. The only way they're going to know is your kindness. It's the only way the world is going to know, not because we tell them, 
not because we judge them. It's not because we say, stop it. It's because of an unusual character of compassion and generosity and kindness. But here's the coolest part. This goes way to the end of the passage. He says, hey, guys, then if you do that, if you get that right, or you just get it right most of the time, or part, mo- part of the time, just get that right, more time than not, and you begin to respond to people around you with compassion and generosity and character that reflects your heavenly Father's love for you, if you do that, he says this, this is, this is the best part. He says, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. You will shine among them like stars in the sky. And when he's saying them, them is his culture. He's talking about his culture. He explains to them, hey, guys, you, you live in a culture that is self-consumed. Hey, you live in a culture that is extremely selfish. You live in a culture that doesn't care about widows and orphans. You live in a culture that doesn't care about abandoned babies or like foster care systems. You live in a culture that is all about themselves. He says, but with just a little bit of compassion, a little bit of generosity and kindness, it's going to get the attention of your community. And by doing this, friends, you will shine like the stars in the sky. And this is exactly what happened in the first century. The church didn't get its traction based on its theology. It was weird. They, they believed that a, a guy died and he rose from the dead. The church didn't get its traction in the beginning from its theology. It was, it was their unusual compassion, their unusual generosity um, that they got their traction from. The church was the safest place for a woman. The church had the greatest work ethic. Christians were the ones that stayed behind when the plagues would happen. When everyone else would leave, they stayed behind to take care of, to love on, to be generous to, and to be compassionate to those who were sick and hurting because they didn't fear death, because they believed there was a heavenly father sent down to pay the price for their sin, and he had risen from the dead. And they were only a generation or so beyond and past that. It was the compassion and the generosity that gave the church's traction And I believe, friends, that somewhere along the way, we've lost just a little bit of that. And I think it's time to regain it again. I do. It's not just about giving and being nice. It's not just about being generous. It's about way more than that. So what can we do? What do we do? Well, do good. Be rich in good deeds and be generous and willing to share. It's more of what we're already doing. And for some of us, it's going to be a start. What do we want this faith community and the church to be known for? What should it be? You want people to be sitting out there and being like, man, I don't understand that whole Christian thing. And, but I'll tell you what, um, I want my daughter to marry one. I'll tell you what, I want to hire one. Because I know they have an unusual amount of generosity, of compassion, of self-control, of patience. Because something's happened and they're living something out. That's what the church should be known for. It's what we already do. It's why 
why we do what we do. That's what the church was about, and that's what the church should be about, was a faith community like this gathering together and taking everything they had with extravagant generosity and dumping it up front so then it could be dispersed to those who need it to shine like stars in the sky. It's why we do some of the crazy things we do. It's why we put on a trunk or treat for thousands and thousands of people to come through and say, wait, like, you don't want us to pay you? Who's paying for this? You're like not even going to put your name all over everything? Wait, I don't understand. Uh, like, but thank you because we're having family time and we haven't had family time in a long time and this is just, this is awesome to be in the community. Wait, that's an unusual amount of generosity. That's an unusual amount of compassion. That's an unusual amount of kindness that you're going to do this in this community. That's why in um, uh, six weeks, we're going to have a, a spring festival. We're going to put thousands of eggs in the grass. And people are going to come and be like, wait, this doesn't, this isn't, we don't have to give you money for this. You don't want anything from us. You don't, you're not asking us for anything back. Like nothing's free. Like, Wait, you just want me to sit here and have fun with my kids and my family connect? And the beautiful picture that continually is painted, I remember years past when we first started this, is watching families sit around afterwards on the grass and like having conversation that seemed like some of them hadn't had in months, all sitting there together and giggling and laughing about or talking about some silly toys and some candy that were in eggs and just connecting and spending and pausing and being there in a moment and saying, man, why do you guys do this? That is some unusual compassion and generosity and kindness that is unusual. It's why, it's why, we're doing, it's why we did the, the Thanksgiving boxes to feed hundreds of people. It's why we do the adopt a family where it's almost a thousand gifts to give people Christmas. And they watch them walk up with bags. I mean, bags. My, my minivan didn't have children, but it was full <laughs> to take to a family. And they sit there like, what? That is an unusual amount of generosity. Who are you? Why are you doing this? Why are you treating me as if I'm more valuable than I am? That's why we do many of the things that we do. It's why we, it's why we have a children's ministry that has 180 kids there in a weekend, and we, we, we teach them <laughs> not to be selfish, but because we've been taught away from our natural enemy. We give them things and we resource them and we invest into them and we love on them and we keep the lights on and we give because we can have a place for them to come and to, to learn and to meet and be in community together. That's why we have a student center that our students get to come four times a week and connect and be in community and be loved on as they're going through the toughest times in their life as they discover who they are and their identity in this world and their family and their, in their space and their sphere and who Jesus really is. And that he really does care. It's why we keep the lights on in there and why we give to make sure that we can reach out and be a beacon to those students and those youth in the community. It's why we have a recovery group that, that comes up here on this campus and meets once a week because there's people that say, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to stand beside you. I'm going to give you an opportunity to have a redeeming moment that you're important, that I care about you because God has done unto me and I'm going to do unto you. We're going to live that out together. This is going to be a true story and picture of what redemption and salvation is all about. That's why we continue to do those things and that's why we're going to continue to be generous in that way. And people will sit there and look and be like, that is some unusual generosity. That is some unusual compassion. That is some unusual kindness. Who does that? One of the, uh, it's really a, 
a beautiful picture, but a pathetic example, if you will, is the, doc, the dollar club. It's been really painted well for all of us. It's, it's great, but it's just a dollar, right? That's a beautiful picture of what it's all about in this faith community. Uh, you know, a, a dollar is nothing. None of, us, none of us would ever walk up to someone and be like, I want to be very generous because that's what I've been called to do right now. I'd like to give you a dollar. May God bless you and be with you. And may, you, may I shine like the stars in the skies through this moment. <laughs> it's not going to happen, right? It's a, it's a buck. But... All of our dollars as a faith community, as a church, as it was made to be, take all of our dollars and put them together, and they become $948. That's going to change someone's life. It just is. It doesn't happen. You know, conversations that I've had with people that don't, don't get it, and they're like, you do what? Wait, you just drop a grand on somebody every week because they need it? Who does that? That's an unusual amount of generosity. That's an unusual amount of compassion and kindness, and it's a buck. Can you think, friends, of the impact we can have on this community, how we can truly shine like the stars in the sky? We are going to be rich. We need to be rich. We need to do more because we've been called to do more. Not that we need to start something, but this faith community, we could, we could source, we could fill every food pantry in this area. We don't need to start one. I want to look out and see what organizations are out and in this community and say, how can we come alongside of you? How can we serve you? How can we give you more people uh, to serve in that? How can we financially source you? How can we fill up your food pantries? Hey, foster system, you're doing a great job. Let's financially source you. Let's, let's try to find some people that are going to take care of these abandoned babies and stuff that's going on. We can do that. Friends, I'm not talking out of key. I'm talking about our Jesus and how he was so generous to us. And so I encourage you that for some of us, we're going to start. Next week, we're going to talk about that and what a 90-day start looks like. And for some of us, it's just going to be start. We're going to practice like we are rich because we need to do more. And we need to do good. For some of us, it's going to be actually acting like we're rich. Because that's what God asks us to do. And I think it's so important and so exciting because truly we can shine like stars in the sky. Will you bow your heads? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.